How many of you are a military or former military people? Are there any here? Thank you all for your for your service. I was once in the army myself, and I can remember several years ago it's been now that I had joined the army. And when I joined, they sent me to Fort Douglas, Utah, which is in Salt Lake City. And at the time, Fort Douglas, Utah was what they call a MEP station, which means it's Military Entrance Processing Station. And it was there, when they sent me there, that I took all the aptitude tests, and uh, they let me in anyway. And they performed the, you know, the complete physical on me. They checked me out really closely, made me walk like a duck, and made me sign all the paperwork, and they made me raise my right hand. You guys all remember that, right? All of you who did that. And it was really interesting because after they had done that, you see, I had committed myself by signing the paperwork and doing all these things. I had committed myself to a certain length of time in military service. That's what that was all about. At that point, I was in the army. I had been sworn in and I was ready to go. I was part of the team. But you never would have known it by the way that I looked. When I walked away from the MEP station and finished doing all that work in Fort Douglas, I went back home to my home in Rock Springs, Wyoming for a short time. And aside from my family and aside from some very close friends, no one knew that I had joined the army. Nobody had any clue. I looked exactly the same way that I had always looked. I wore the exact same clothes that I had always worn. When I spoke, I didn't sound any differently. I wasn't using any of the military acronyms yet. And of course, you know, there are many of those. So by all outward appearances, nothing had changed in my life. I was just the same old Scott that I had always been. But positionally, things were different for me. Positionally, I was now in the army. And if U.S. military had been called up or had been activated during that brief period, you know that I would have been expected to report immediately, and I would have been expected to go and do my duty. I would have been expected to do what they had expected of me, because that was my position. I was in the position of a U.S. Army soldier at that point. I was in the Army. Well, it wasn't very long after I was sent back home that I was required to go back to Fort Douglas, Utah. And this time when I got there, things were a little bit different. You see, I went there and they sent me off to a place called Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri after that. And they were so generous to me. When I got to Fort Leonard Wood, I mean, you wouldn't believe how kind and gracious they were to me. The very first thing they did when I got there was they gave me a new haircut. And although they made me pay for it, I did get a discount. They gave me this entirely new wardrobe. I mean, I looked fresh. I was, it was good. They gave me about 50 new roommates. They taught me how to properly shine a pair of shoes, a pair of boots. They taught me how to properly polish a floor. And to this day, those things stick with me. They taught me how to scrub a toilet. That did not stick with me. They taught me how to do all of these things. And eventually after that, they even taught me how to use my M16. You see, they taught me everything that a good army man, everything that a good army soldier would need to know. And they gave each of us this little book that they called the smart book. Does anybody remember a smart book? Did you have one of those? They gave us this smart book, and we carried the smart book with us absolutely everywhere we went. And inside of this smart book were all of the procedures. They were all of the drills. There were all of the rules that you could ever want to know as an army soldier. 
It told you how to do absolutely everything. You see, military leadership wanted to make sure that we all operated by the same standards. They wanted to make sure that procedurally we were all working from the same playbook. The U.S. Army had set a series of standards, and they told us, now that you are a soldier, now that you are in the U.S. Army, you have these standards, and you need to look like a soldier, you need to act like a soldier, you need to behave like all of the people around you. These are the standards, and as a rule of life, you must conduct yourself by these standards. That was the message that they gave to us. And as we received training, we were expected to live up to the standards of that training as it had been communicated to us, and we were expected to conduct ourselves in a way that was reflective of the standards that we had learned. And you know what? We were expected to live up to those standards whether or not we were wearing our uniform. It really didn't matter. But after I had spent about 12 weeks at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, there was no doubt that people would recognize me as a member of the U.S. Army. Do you know why? Because my dress was different. I wasn't wearing the same clothes that I used to wear. I wasn't using the same language that I used to use. My language was different. My conduct was different. Even my posture was different. The way I carried myself was very different than it had been 12 weeks earlier when I joined. You see, I was the same guy, I just carried myself differently. I was the same guy, I just operated by a new set of standards. I was the same guy, I was just different, that's all. I was the exact same guy. Now for those of you who may be visiting with us this morning or may be new to us, we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians now for several months And I've told everybody who has been here over those months that the book of Ephesians is divided into two major sections, haven't I? The first section is the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, and it tells us who we are in Christ. The first three chapters tell us of our position as we are in Christ. They tell us of the resource that's available to us as we are in Christ. And today, we are going to turn the corner from position, and we're going to make our way into the fourth chapter where we're going to find out our practice, and we're going to begin to understand practice. And as we continue to move through chapters 4 through 6 of the book of Ephesians, we're going to find instruction that is immensely practical. And I want you to know that Paul is probably going to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable as we move forward. I want you to know that Paul is going to challenge you as we move forward. And what's happening here is that Paul is saying, just as the U.S. Army told me those several years ago, based on who you are, this is how you are now to behave. Based on who you are, this is how you behave. These are the standards that you must live up to. So I'm going to take you this morning to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 1, if we could go there this morning. It looks like this. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, and I want to just stop right there for a minute if I could, and we can leave that scripture up, but Paul says, therefore, I therefore, based on everything that I have been telling you over the last three chapters regarding your position in Christ, based on everything that I have said to you, based on all that you now know about how God has already given you every spiritual blessing in the 
heavenly places, based on all you know about how God has made you alive, based on all you know about how he has bathed you and lavished upon you his grace, based on all that you know about how he has given you unfettered access, he has made you a family member and given you complete unfettered access right into the very lap of God himself, based on all of that information that I have given you, based on everything that you have received, I urge you, I beg you, I implore you to do what? Well, what's it say here? To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You see that? I beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. It's very important that we understand what Paul is saying here. I want to take a minute and I want us to understand this. When Paul says, I urge you to walk, he uses the verb peripateo. And I want to help you understand what that means. It's a compound word, peri, meaning around, and pateo, which is to walk. And so he's saying, I urge you to walk around or to walk about. I want you to, he's saying, as a general pattern of life, as a general way of living, this is how you should be walking around. This is how you should be conducting yourselves. This is the way, generally speaking, that your life should go. This is how you should be conducting everything that you do in your lives. You should walk around doing this, or you should conduct yourselves, or your conduct should be characterized as one who does that. Are you with me? You should be someone who walks around. You should be someone who conducts yourselves as one who has already become or as one who has already been adopted into the family of God and you have already adopted a standard, listen, that is worthy or that is deserving of the high calling to which God has called you. Do you see this? I urge you to behave yourselves, to walk around like somebody who is deserving of the high calling that God has placed on your life. I urge you to conduct yourselves as people whose conduct is reflective of their position. You have a whole new appearance. You have a whole new appearance. You have a totally new presence. You have a new posture. You have a new charisma. And it's one that is fitting. It is one that is appropriate for someone of your position. Do you see that? Your new walk. Your new manner of conduct should be appropriate for someone who has been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly, shouldn't it? Your conduct should be appropriate and should reflect the gratitude which is in your heart, which should be present in your heart, of someone who was dead in their sins and condemned to an eternity in hell who has now been made alive. That's how your conduct should be. Your conduct should be just like that of someone who has the the freedom to walk right into the very presence of Almighty God Himself and to climb up on His lap. Your behavior should reflect somebody that has that privileged position. That's what He's saying. You can just walk right in. Listen to me, friends. The way that you walk around, the way that you conduct yourselves in the hallways of your schools, kids, the way that you conduct yourselves, friends, as you sit behind the desks of your office, the way that you behave when you're in the privacy of your own home, the way that you conduct yourselves when no one else can see you, the things that you're looking at on your phones, the language that you use when no one else can hear, the thoughts that you 
ruminate on that no one else can see. The things that you do with your boyfriends and with your girlfriends when you have a moment alone. All of those things should reflect and should be fitting for someone who has the incredible privilege that you have. You've been given privilege in Christ. Paul says, act like it. This is how you're to be walking around. I implore you, I beg you, walk around like somebody who is reflective of the position that you have in Christ. But wait a minute, I'm not sure what those things look like. I, I don't know how I'm supposed to walk around. Well, take out your smart book, right? Take out your book of standards. Take out your book of conduct. If you want to know what the standards are, just read the book. This is what Second Peter says in chapter 1 and verse 3. This is so important. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. You see this? Look, He has already given you all things that pertain to life, that you're walking around in this world, and godliness, that's the standard by which you walk around in this world. Are you following me? He's already given you all of those things. And where is that to be found? Well, what does it say here in verse 3? It says that it's through the knowledge or the epigenosis, and that is the epigenosis of Him who called us. Now I want to explain that. Gnosis or gnosko is knowledge. It's to know something. But epigenosko is something very different. He says you have this epigenosis. This is a thorough, this is a deep, this is a real understanding of God. You have this deep understanding of Jesus Christ. You have this deep understanding of the one who called you. It's not a superficial knowledge, and it's all to be found in the smart book. That's what the Bible says. It's all to be found right there. It's all to be found. Everything that you need to know about the one who called you. Well, who's the one that calls you? It's God, isn't it? Isn't God the one that calls you? So what you need to do is you need to get knowledge of God. Well, how do we learn about God? Where do I get the knowledge of God, Scott? Well, listen to me. You can only understand those things of God that He has chosen to reveal to you. You have to understand that. How does God reveal Himself to you? Well, He does it on a deep and intimate level through His Word, right? His Word consists of two things. There are two forms of God's Word. He reveals Himself through the written Word, which is the Bible, and He reveals Himself to us through His living Word, who is Jesus. Jesus Christ. That is God's full and complete revelation to you. That's all that you need. And where do you find the revelation of Jesus Christ? You find it in the Gospels, don't you? So listen closely to me. If you want to have the knowledge of the things that you need to walk around in this world in a way that is reflective and fitting for someone of your position, for someone of your privilege in Christ, commit yourselves to the Word of God. Commit yourselves to the smart book. Understand it. And then you'll know the standard of conduct. Then you'll know how you should behave yourselves. So what does it look like when people walk around with practice that's reflective of their position and their privilege in Jesus Christ? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. As you get into verse 2 and in verse 3, Paul shows us that there are five characteristics of people who walk around practicing something that is reflective of their position in Jesus Christ. And so I want us to take a look at those five characteristics, and we're going to look at them one at a time, because I want to make sure that we really understand these characteristics, because this is super important. So today we're only going to deal with the first one, and we'll deal with more of them down the road. Now, as we begin to look at these characteristics, I think you would do well to think of these five characteristics as progressive, even though in the Greek language they don't follow that same progressive purpose clause structure that we saw over the last couple of weeks. So just hang with me, okay? Think of these. Keep in mind that they are progressive in nature. That's what I want you to do. 
So let's see what Paul says characterizes a lifestyle that is fitting of someone in our position. Let's take a look at verse 1 through 3 again. He says this, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Well, what does that look like, Paul? Like this in verse 2, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There it is. You see right there in verse 2, all of those characteristics... And the very first characteristic of the pattern of life of someone in your position is what? Humility. The very first characteristic of someone in your position is humility. And from your humility, you will develop gentleness. And your gentleness, you will develop patience and love and then unity in the body and so on. You see that? That's the progressive nature. But it all begins with humility. So what is humility? I want to think about that for a minute. It seems like it's probably not all that hard to define I think it's just hard to find. It's not hard to define. It's just hard to find, isn't it? Think about that. I mean, what is humility? Some dictionaries will define it as a low view of one's own importance. And I think that that is an outstanding definition. A low view of one's own importance. Webster's Dictionary says it's the absence of pride or arrogance. So I like what Webster does. He defines it by telling us what it's not. That's a good way to define things as well, isn't it? I think that's also fine. So I think Scripture supports that definition as well. I want to show you something. Peter and James both quote Proverb 3.34, and this is what they say. For God does what? He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Do you see that there? So you can easily see here that Scripture sees humility as the opposite of pride, doesn't it? Scripture sees humility as the opposite of pride. Beth and I had a friend who, one time, he was either, he was either serving you know, sacrificially or he had felt he was being particularly modest about something. And in telling us the story about what he had done, uh, he finished it by saying this, well, you know me, Mr. Humble. And my wife and I have always gotten a kick out of that. I mean, here's this very kind, this very sweet man, and he truly was a believer, He was a sweet guy, but listen to me. He was so focused. He became so focused on his humility that he actually became proud of the fact that he was so humble, hadn't he? Do you see what I'm saying? He had focused on his humility so much that he became proud of the fact that he was so humble. I mean, the math on that doesn't really work up for me. I can't get that to compute. I remember a teenage girl (laughs) telling my wife, this one's great. Well, I will only have my beauty for a short time. And I I think, you know, what a little sweetie. She's trying to establish her humility in saying that, you know, she's not going to be an attractive adult. That's great. But while she's trying to establish her humility, she demonstrates her pride by telling you how beautiful she is right now. Do you see that? That doesn't compute. It doesn't work out. You see, I can remember, (laughs) listen to me, I can remember as a kid, don't judge me. I'm going to tell you this right now. Don't judge me. I remember as a kid, having a uh, a contest at our county fair or various festivals called a greased pig contest. You know what I'm talking about? You guys think, who is this hick? Yeah, we used to have greased pig contests. And what you do is you take this little pig, it was, I don't know, maybe 75, 80 pounds, and you cover him in grease, and then you turn him loose. And he's running around, and all these kids are trying to tackle him and hold him down, and we're trying to catch this little greased pig. 
and he's very, very slippery. And just when you grab him by the ankle, he's, you know, he wiggles a little bit and then he pops away from you and you can't get a hold of him. And so this little guy was tough to catch. And that's exactly how humility is. Do you understand? Humility is incredibly slippery. Humility is very hard for us to hold on to. This man and this young girl thought that they had a good hold of it, but then it wiggled just a little bit and it slipped away from them really quickly. Do you see that? It got right away from them. And why wouldn't the world struggle with humility? Have you ever thought about that? Of course the world struggles with humility. I think the world truly scorns humility. I mean, think about this. From the moment that your children are old enough to put on their first pair of soccer cleats, from the, the moment they are first able to take the field, we award them for every minor accomplishment, no matter how insignificant. We give them medals, and we give them ribbons, and we give them trophies for absolutely everything in sports, up to and including participating. Oh, you showed up. Great. You should be really proud of showing up today. Here's a medal. We give them certificates, and we put bumper stickers on our cars whenever they get good grades. It's even made its way into the church. Do you know that? I remember one time as a young teenager winning a trophy for Bible quiz. Huh? Yeah, think about this. We tell our kids that they should be really proud of themselves for memorizing verses like 1 Peter 5 5. Scott, you should be really proud. Oh, Scotty, you should be so proud of the fact that you memorized the Bible verse that said, God resists the proud, and yet he gives grace to the humble. You should be so proud of that. I mean, how confusing is that for a little kid? How confusing is that for anybody? But listen, as believers, humility and not pride should characterize our walk. It should, humility should characterize our walking around and our behavior, shouldn't it? The Greek word for humility is tapenosuphrones, and it's a, cop, it's a compound word from taking the word tapenos, which is low, or maybe even you could think of it as pressed down, okay? Think about this. Tapenos is low or pressed down, and the verb phroneo, which is to think, okay? So you have a low or a pressed down thought of yourself. You think of yourself in lowly terms. You think of yourself as lowly. But I want you to understand that Paul doesn't just say that you should walk around thinking of yourselves in humility, does he? That's not what he says. Paul says something a little bit more. He takes it a little bit further. He says you should walk around in all humility. You should walk around in complete humility. You should walk around in total lowliness. You should think of yourself as absolutely, extremely, to the very end, low and humble. We should think of ourselves in complete lowliness in every area of our lives. And then he tells us that this lowly thought of ourselves is the most basic characteristic of those who have your position. How do you like that? Is that tough? That's difficult, isn't it? For you who have been adopted into the family, for you who have received the privilege that you have received, you should be thinking of yourselves in the most lowly terms humanly possible. But that's not how we're programmed, is it? That's not how we're taught to live. You see, humility doesn't come easily. Pride does, doesn't it? Humility does not come easily to us. It's so slippery. I'd like to take a couple of minutes and just show you a couple areas where we st struggle with humility, if I could do that. And I know these are true for me, at least, and there are obviously many more, but I'm going to share a couple areas where I feel like we struggle with humility. Can I do that? 
First, I think we often struggle with humility. I think we often struggle with pride in the area of our abilities. Think about that. One area where I am not tempted to be proud is in my ability to play the piano. Do you know why? I can't play the piano. It's not a problem for me. I don't struggle with humility in that area because I can't do it. I stink at it. You will never hear me brag about being some virtuoso. You'll never hear me brag about how good I am at playing the piano because you all know that I'm lying. You all know that I can't do it. And I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to brag about my ability to sing. Do you want to know why? Because I stink at that too. But listen to me. We tend to boast and become proud in the areas where we have some ability, don't we? Those are the areas where we become tempted to lose our humility. Those are the areas where I feel that I have to struggle a little bit from time to time. And you know, there are some areas where I feel that that God has given me some level of ability, and it's in those areas that I personally am tempted to become proud and boastful. Did you know that? You know, it's important to me to properly preach and teach the Word of God. That's important to me. And Humility is often slippery for me in that area, I want to be honest with you. If I've spent a certain amount of time preparing a message for Sunday morning, and I want to make sure that I'm handling the Word of God as carefully as I can, and I come and I share a message with you, and then someone comes up to me immediately following service and says, Scott, I was really challenged. I was really blessed by that message that you shared this morning. My natural reaction is to think, Yeah, you probably should have been. (laughs) That was a pretty good one. And I think to myself, you know, I was particularly impressed with the part where everybody said amen. You know, Why? Why do I feel like that? Because it's an area that I feel God has given me just a certain amount of ability so that I can share the Word of God with you. I believe that God has given me a certain amount of ability so I can share the Word of God with the people who come here on Sunday morning. And so I remind myself often that I have no reason to be proud. I think to myself, I didn't write the Word of God. I just told you what it says. It's not that big of a deal. But sometimes I get proud about that, you know, and so I have to battle. That's why I'm so thankful that God blessed me with an honest wife and children. And, you know, if we ever get home from church... (laughs) And I say, hey, how did you, you know, how did you feel service went this morning? They don't mind saying, really long. <laughs> and then you go out to, you know, to a night with, with your fellow believers, and the comedian does a song, a parody of Ramble On, and they're all elbowing me and looking at me and saying, hey, yeah, you, you listen to this one, Scott? He wrote this one for you. Man, I'm I'm blessed. <laughs> I'm really blessed by that. Thank you. So God keeps us humble, and, and even... You know, sometimes before you go to church to deliver a message and you say, kids, it's time to get up and go to church. And they say, oh, dad, why do we have to go? Church is so boring. I'm like, that's humility, right? I mean, God wants me to think lowly of myself and sometimes he allows us to do that. But you know that even Paul had to be careful with that. Did you know that? That's true. Paul said, I have had so many great and surpassing revelations from God that God actually had to give me a thorn in my flesh to keep me humble so that I wouldn't think more highly of myself than I ought to. So listen to me, friends. When you come to me after service and you're so kind with your nice words, thank you for that, but I can't take credit for that. Praise God. Don't. It's not anything that I've done, not anything that I've said. I'm glad that you're challenged, but I do my very best to respond by saying praise God. 
I'm thankful that you were challenged. I mean, how can I take credit for a work that God is working through me? I'm not doing the work. God is working the work through me. It's Him who works through us to work and to do to accomplish His will, isn't it? I'm going to share something else with you. The same is true of all of the rest of you. I'm the one that has to stand up here first and confess it. But I want you to know something. I am truly, truly blessed by such a talented worship team, aren't you? I truly am blessed by our worship team. And I think that if you're a musician, humility would be really slippery for you. I think it could become really slippery when you stand up in front of everyone and you're playing your instrument and they're all singing and you watch them raising their hands and you watch them praising God. And I think what could happen is that you may tend to think that it's your ability to play your instrument and it's your ability to sing that has drawn people into this great expression of worship. But I want you to know it's not you, it's Him. And I want you to know that I'm blessed that our worship team leads us with humility. Do you know that? I am blessed that our worship team leads us with humility, bearing in mind that the gift is not theirs. God works the ability through them that the body of Christ may be built up. So musicians, I am truly thankful. I am truly blessed by your ministry, and I'm truly blessed by the ability that God has given you. And thank you, and please maintain your posture of humility as you lead the rest of us in worship. So what about the rest of you? What about those of you who lead? Are you tempted to become proud of how skilled you are in leadership? Because you feel like you have a particular gift of leading, are you tempted to just walk in and steamroll everybody else to make sure that your agenda becomes completed? That you can put a check mark by everything? Youth leaders, may I ask you, do you become proud of the growth that you're seeing and the community that you're building and creating on Friday nights? Are you proud of that? Listen to me, friends. It is not you. It is Him. He gives you these gifts to build up His body. Exercise them, listen, in all lowliness. Exercise them in all humility. There's another area where I feel like we are tempted, and that's spiritual pride. This is a tough one. Have you ever seen this one? Spiritual pride? I'm going to tell you, I think this one is probably the worst. This is the one that Jesus constantly battled the Pharisees over. And these are the people who like to impress you with how spiritual they are. They like you to think that they're a step above everyone else. I mean, they are so spiritual. Maybe they feel like they have a particular spiritual gifting that they want to exercise, and so they try to. They choose the most conspicuous time and the most conspicuous place to try and break it out so that everyone can see it. Or maybe they've memorized large portions of Scripture, and every time you engage them in a conversation, they try to find a way to work in as much as they can just so that you know how much they know. Or maybe they like to offer big, elaborate prayers with ornate King James English and hand gestures just to show you how spiritually advanced they are. Maybe they're proud of their sanctification. And they'll go around saying things like, can you believe that so-and-so got caught up in that kind of a sin? I would never do that. What about the ones who want you to know that they're big church givers? We're big church donors, and we use that as leverage to garner some favor for ourselves. They don't tell you that, do they? Because they're proud of what they do, and so they use that to leverage things for themselves. And they say, I feel like the Lord has given me the gift of generous giving, and so I'm going to give you a whole bunch of money, and you're going to spend it on exactly what I want, and then you're going to etch my name in the back of it. And I say, keep your money then, right? Keep your money until you gain some lowliness. And after you've gotten a little bit of humility, then you come back and you offer it with a cheerful heart. Which leads us to another form of pride. How about the pride of possessions? Do you think we have that? I think this is a huge problem in America. We want everyone to admire us for all the quality stuff we have, don't we? 
We want everybody to see our big TVs and our cool cars and our flashy watches. I mean, look at everything that I have. Do you know how good you have to be to come up with all of the stuff I've got? Do you know how smart you have to be and how talented you have to be to have all of this? This doesn't come easily. You have to be really skilled. I want to show you something. I'm going to take you to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And in verse 11, Moses was addressing the people of Israel. And I want you to follow me here. He says, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Now, verse 12, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord. Now down to verse 17, look at this. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me all of this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to even get wealth. Listen to me. Moses says, God is going to pour out blessing on you. This is Moses talk to the Israelites. God is going to pour out blessing on you. He's going to give you all the food that you could want. He's going to give you all beautiful homes. He's going to give you lots of animals and a great deal of money. But the time is going to come that you will become so accustomed to your good fortune, you will become so comfortable with your blessing that you will take for granted the fact that God took you from poverty and he took you from slavery to lavish on you his amazing blessing. That's what's going to happen if you don't watch yourself. Eventually, you're going to become so used to it that you're going to forget where it came from, and you're going to think that you did it yourselves. You're going to think that it was from your own hard work. You're going to think that it was from all of your own ability and your own cleverness that you obtained such great blessing, and you are totally going to forget that God is the one who even gave you the ability. Do you understand? You will totally forget that God gave you the ability to gain your wealth. You'll forget that every meal that you ever ate was a mercy from God. You're going to forget that every drop of clean water you ever had is a blessing from God. You're going to forget that everything that you have ever gotten came from God. And you're going to begin to think that you did it all. And friends, when you do that, you will lose your perspective. And when that happens, we become proud and we begin to brag. When that happens, we become careless with all of the good things that he has given us. And we become wasteful. I'm convinced that America has become that person. I'm convinced that many churches in America have become that person. I want to just pause to remind you of the good report that I shared with you a couple of weeks ago during our financial update. And I shared with you what God is doing here in our church, in our church finance, and through our church growth. God help us that we would never forget, even generations from now, that every little measure of success, no matter how minor that we may see it here at Root River Church, it is because God has blessed us and it's for His glory. God help us never to forget that. My prayer is that we never get to the place where we lose our sense of complete lowliness. That we never forget where we came from. That we never forget that it was God who planted this church body. That we never forget that it was God who multiplied this church body. That we never forget that it was God who sustains its growth. And it is God for whose honor you serve. Let us never forget that. There are several other areas of pride that I'd like to develop this morning. Such as the pride of our physical appearance. Do we even need to talk about this one? We talked about this 
couple weeks ago about all the time and money we spend in vanity making our outer man as attractive as we possibly can. I mean, we can't even walk by a mirror without stopping to look at ourselves. You know it's true. (laughs) We have pride in our education. We want to put all kinds of letters behind our names so everybody knows just how smart we are. We have pride in our social status, knowing that I'm a class above everyone else. Can you believe that we even have pride in our politics? And that we see ourselves because we embrace one particular political ideology as maybe a step above the lowly people who think something else? But listen to me, friends. You need to be able to combat pride in your lives. And so I want to give you a couple of tools to help you combat pride and to maintain all humility if I could do that. And I will do these quickly. But listen, if you're going to walk around practicing behaviors that are consistent with your position, you need to know how to maintain your humility. And so I'm going to help you do that. First, remember who you are. You might be able to fool the people sitting next to you, but you're not fooling God. Remember who you are. The Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart, doesn't it? He was so near to God that God decided that it was through David's bloodline that he was going to bring the Messiah to Israel. David was known as Israel's greatest king. He was the author of many psalms, and yet he was one of the most humble of men. This is what he said of himself in Psalm 51.3, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. David remembered how sinful he was. The people next to you may not know it. But you know it. He was honest with himself about who he was. And I think it's healthy for us to remember who we are. I think it's healthy for us to really call out who we really are. I think it's good for us to be honest about our sinful condition. Do you know that? I'm not saying that you have to hold on to your sin and wallow in it and and act like you're defeated because of it, but it is healthy for you to remember where God has brought you from. It's healthy for you to remember what you were before you found the mercy of Jesus Christ, or before the mercy of Jesus Christ found you, I should say. It is healthy for us to be honest about how far you yet have to go. It is healthy for you to understand how little you know. It's good for us to stand before God and to call our sin out by name before Him. There's nothing more humbling than that. It's good for you to stand up and say, God, I'm a liar. It's good for you to say, God, I'm full of self-love and vanity. God, I'm filled with lust. God, I'm a drunk. God, I'm a thief. God, I'm an adulterer, whatever it is. It's good for you to do that. It's healthy for you to stand up and call yourself out right before God and be honest with yourself and to be honest before God. This self-awareness, my friends, helps you to be humble. It helps you to maintain your level of humility. It makes you lowly and it completely breaks down any sense of self-elevation that you may have in your heart. See yourselves for who you really are. Don't conceal it. Don't ignore it. You're no better than the person next to you. You're no better than the person on the other side of the room. And finally, I'm going to encourage you to remember who God is. Remember who you are. And remember who God is. Listen, Revelation 4.8 tells us that God is what? Holy, holy, holy. 
God is holy, holy, holy. And I would encourage you to ask yourselves as a psalmist, who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks down far from the heavens and the earth, who is like the Lord our God? Ask yourselves, as the Lord inquired of Job in Job chapter 38, where was I when God laid the foundations of the earth? Where was I when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted out for joy at his creation? Where was I when he told the seas, thus far you may go and no further? Remember who God is. Remember that you serve a holy God in whom is no fault, in whom is no sin, is no shadow of turning. You serve a holy and righteous God. You serve a just and honorable God. And you yourselves are yet sinners, aren't you? But by the grace of God... Remind yourself of His holiness and compare it honestly to your sinfulness. Who art thou, O man? Who are you, O man? Who do you think you are? What can I possibly have to be prideful about? But for those who lay hold of humility, there's a blessed reward. Do you know what the reward is? Proverb 22.4 says, The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Listen, ultimately, honor comes to those who are humble. That's what the Word teaches. You see the paradox? Honor comes to those who are humble according to Proverb 15.33. The Lord calls you to humility. That's the very first step. You can't go any further until you've gotten there. And as soon as you think you've gotten it, It's going to wiggle away from you, isn't it? You'll never quite get there, but it is the essential ingredient to spiritual blessing. Do you understand? Understanding that nothing that you have comes from you, it all comes from God. And God will honor you when you walk around in a lowly and humble posture. Do you see that? Then will God exalt you. Seek not the exaltation of men, But allow God to lift you up. Allow God to honor you. Allow God to exalt you. And He will only do that when you assume a posture of all lowliness. Complete humility. Then He will exalt you. As long as you're proud, He's going to resist you. But what will He do to the humble? He gives grace. He lifts them up, doesn't He? Father, I thank You for Your mercy. I thank You that even though I'm a sinner, even though my thought patterns aren't always best and honoring of You, that You show me mercy in Jesus Christ. I thank You, God, that there's forgiveness for my sinfulness there. Lord, I just pray that as a church family we'll remember that nothing that is happening here is because of anything that any of us have done, but it's because of Your grace and Your love and Your mercy. So Lord, I pray that You would help us to assume a lowly posture. I pray that You would help us to assume a posture of all and complete humility. Lord, let us serve You gladly with cheerfulness in our hearts, knowing that it is only by Your grace that You work through us to work and to do and to empower Your will in this community. And So Lord, we pray that as we serve You in humility, that You would reach this community for Your own glory and for Your own kingdom. 
that you would bring hearts to Jesus Christ, that lives could be changed and they could walk in the mercy and the grace that is found only in Jesus Christ.